Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Theology at the Pub Melbourne podcast. Theology at the Pub is a monthly event hosted in Melbourne. For more information and to find out about our upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at theologyatthepub.com.au. Grab yourself a drink and enjoy the talk. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for our November Theology at the Pub online edition. So today we have our own chaplain of Theology at the Pub, Father Nathan Rollins. Uh, he was ordained, a little bit of information for you guys. So he was ordained uh, in 2019 and is the assistant priest at St. Peter's in Epping. He lived in Japan for a year um, and another fun fact, and his favorite Disney film is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, and so thank you so much for Father Nathan Rollings. I really look forward to this talk uh, about evangelization post-lockdown. Maybe not restrictions, because this is online, but yes, post-lockdown. So over to you, Father. Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Hannah, and welcome everyone to this, um, this talk. Um, it's a wonderful day to celebrate this because it's um, the Feast of All Saints. And so we can think of the great missionaries who went to the ends of the earth um, to bring us the gospel. You know, we're part of that body that's filled with the glorious band of apostles, the noble company of martyrs, the saints of every race and tongue and people and nation who have gone to the ends of the earth to proclaim their faith in the one true God. And so let's start with a small prayer to them that is taken from the Mass at this time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty ever-living God, by whose gift we venerate in one celebration the merits of all the saints, bestow on us, we pray, through the abundance of so many intercessors and their prayers, an abundance of the reconciliation with you, for which we earnestly long through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. So I got this idea from a talk, um, just generally from a lot of things that I've been thinking about over the last two years. Um, particularly, they come after a sort of a lot of drinks and talks, uh, particularly with Father Stephen Smith, who's the vocations director of the Archdiocese of Hobart. A number of years ago when, you know, before COVID, we were at a convention and while we were lining up, I asked him jokingly sort of how we thought people would react if they knew that there were two Catholic priests in the line with them about to go into this popular cultural festival. And I slowly kept thinking about that. Um, I grew up in the Disney Renaissance of the 90s, and so my cousins and I always related to each other with Disney. And into my teenage years, when I went into high school, I found myself bored in RE because I actually went to Mass, so none of the things being introduced were particularly new. But anime and manga became those means by which I started to explore a lot of ideas. You know, I was the 12-year-old in year eight asking questions about the value of pacifism due to the series Gundam Wing and having an existential crisis at 13 due to Neon Genesis Evangelion on SBS. And so as we sort of now went into COVID, we found ourselves in a bit of a Noah's Ark sort of situation. We've been locked up in our homes. The doors are finally open. And now we're sent out of the Ark 
into the world again. And our world is slowly, slowly, very slowly here in Victoria, opening up. And so we have to be reminded of what our mission is as Catholics. What are we called to do? Well, we're called to sanctify, to evangelize, and to restore the world to Christ. We remember that we are not Catholics for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. We are ones who are sent on mission. This shouldn't really strike us as odd that we're all called to evangelize. And this doesn't have to start later. We're supposed to already be doing it. The Second Vatican Council document that I think is overlooked quite a bit is Apostolicam Aptuositatem, which speaks about the apostolate of the laity. It reads in number two, in the church, there is a diversity of ministry, but a oneness of mission. Christ conferred on the apostles and their successors the duty of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling in his name and power. But the laity likewise share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office of Christ. And therefore, their own share in the mission of the whole people of God in the church and in the world. They exercise the apostolate, in fact, by their activity directed to the evangelization and sanctification of men and to the penetrating and perfecting of the temporal order through the spirit of the gospel. In this way, their temporal activity openly bears witness to Christ and promotes the salvation of men. Since the laity, in accordance with their state of life, live in the midst of the world and all its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven, with the ardor of the spirit of Christ. So as disciples of Christ, we share in the three offices of Christ, who is a priest, a prophet, and a king. And so we are also called to go forth and to sanctify, evangelize, and restore the world to Christ. As in ages past, but perhaps even more so now, we're called to live the gospel to its radical fullness, to reawaken in others to the most important things in life, that relationship with God and neighbor, which has been sacrificed for usually for some lesser or frankly, more pathetic good. Perhaps in this day and age, we need to work more on being prophets. Prophets aren't fortune tellers. That's not what a prophet is. But someone who is an upholder of holiness, someone who is called to speak the truth, God's truth, to a world that doesn't often like what we have to say. We are called to evangelize as those who have gone before us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The thing is that the ends of the earth are no longer so far away. They are our local community. We don't need to go to distant lands to bring the gospel there like St. Paul, to be a teacher of the Gentiles and the pagans. The Gentiles and the pagans are in our suburbs, our workplaces, our homes, our local shopping centers. But then we had the pandemic. And as a result, we haven't really been doing that mission lately, have we? Rather than living out our call to sanctify at mass, we've been forced to watch it on a screen. 
rather than evangelizing, we've been watching shows on a screen, playing games on a screen. Rather than restoring the world to Christ, we've just restored the pillows to the couch to cover those spots where we had left imprints after sitting there all day. If this exaggeration is reflective of your 2020, 2021, and hopefully not ongoing, then please do not despair. As the situation with COVID continues to evolve, we may look back at 2020 and 2021 and cringe over how much time we spent on the couch watching TV, staring into the maelstrom of YouTube on our phones, or binging whatever we could via our favorite streaming services. However, was all that time in lockdown really a waste? Was all these recreational and entertaining things that occupied our time and everyone else's time as we stayed in our homes, just simply there to fill a void of less activity? Or is it that going forward, that these things have a part to play in our mission as disciples of Christ to bring the good news to the ends of the earth? Do these time spent watching TV play a part in us becoming the intentional disciples that the church in Australia and our post-COVID-19 Australian society needs us to be? That lockdown time that was spent on Netflix and Disney Plus those hours on your PlayStation or Xbox or Switch, that anime or Korean drama or novel series that you spent time with that captured your heart and minds throughout this difficult time. Jesus has a use for that. So we may ask, okay, popular culture, really, you know, what does Pikachu have to do with Padre Pio? To be clear, we're not superimposing Christianity upon that which Christianity was never intended. The fact that not everything in our popular culture is conducive to the gospel can be somewhat problematic. We have seen that at its worst, our popular culture can be like a noxious weed that exploits the gifts, the talents and of people in various fields to produce entertainment that is, well, designed to be addictive, that preys on our human frailties possibly even furthering certain destructive ideologies and goals, and sometimes just exists to consume our disposable income for the financial benefit of someone else. While we hope that what we create will always point us and lead us closer to the Supreme Creator, we do fall short. And our tendency towards sin can corrupt the way that we use our various gifts and talents. However, not all is lost. At its best, popular culture explores and expresses our humanity and the transcendental properties of the good, the true, and the beautiful that run through our human nature's deepest yearnings for what can make us whole. True artists, musicians, content creators, and all manner of gifted and talented people seem to just know instinctively that what we long for is that. So often in trying to explore the many mysteries that saturate our life, we find artists who imbue in their creations a taste of those things that truly seem to satisfy us. These 
transcendental properties point us ultimately to God himself, who alone satisfies the restless heart. So whenever we encounter these artistic works, they give us a whiff of what it means to be fully alive. And it captivates our minds and our hearts with things that make us fully human. Our world being what it is, which is admittedly not always as we would like it to be, it presents us a culture that is a bit like the parable of the wheat and darnel in the Gospel of Matthew, where both are mixed together. There are video games that call the human spirit to self-sacrifice, as well as those that entice us to sacrifice others for entertainment. There are those anime, television, and web series that encourage us to pursue virtue. There are also those that fuel our vices. There are films that can call us to living out that self-sacrificial love that we see in the cross and those that see no meaning in a life lived for the sake of others. And so we're called to discern, to take what is good and to discard what is not. But thankfully, I think the secret ingredient that produces a hit, which moves a piece of work from being something that's just amusing for a short while to the eyes, to something that resonates and stimulates the core of the human heart and mind so that we want to go back and encounter it again and again, are those transcendental properties that belong to and ultimately point us to Christ himself. While so often the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ is not explicit in whatever is before us, with ears to hear, we can pick up his voice, echoing in those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable and praiseworthy, which are just scattered throughout our culture. C.S. Lewis wrote in Surprised by Joy that I think that all things in their way reflect heavenly truth, the imagination not the least. All good things come from God and he still beckons us to him by scattering what the patristic fathers called the seeds of the word. With eyes and ears saturated in the biblical worldview and the faith, we can find those seeds and they come to help us to know and to love him better and provide opportunities for us to nurture those virtues in others. So look back at those shows that you watched. What consumed your time? What about them caught your attention? What about them made them interesting? And what in them spoke to you? Did they ask you questions that made you think? Because those shows that are just filled with vice and only vice, when we think back on them, we find that they're shallow and they're boring. They're only able to appeal to our basic instincts and sensibilities. And then when that's gone, we pay no more interest. But those shows that called you to be more, to find out more, those games that you invested your time into and your energy, because they seem to answer that call in you to become more than you are whatever that may be, and whatever else was raving about on YouTube and Facebook, all those things were capturing the hearts and minds of other people too. It's from that place 
that we can begin in this post-COVID world to begin the journey of accompaniment with others. So often in our modern world, we find that we can't talk about religion, not just because it's socially awkward for many who are insecure in faith matters, but because there is no mutual foundation from which we can have that conversation. Let's think about who we're evangelizing, who we're being sent out to. Let's just start with our fellow millennial Catholics. So I'm technically a millennial. I'm only 32, I think. But when I look at my peers that I hope to evangelize, the people my age, who I don't often see in mass, I remember that they're the ones who grew up with a beige Catholicism. Sure, they were educated in Catholic schools, but they were formed by a secular culture. For those of you who have an interest in classical education, you know, as children, our moral and ethics was taught every morning by Cheese TV, you know, prior to school with the, the trivium of the 90s, Pokemon, Digimon, Dragon Ball Z, and then you went to school. Our TVs showed terrorism on the nightly news. And then our access to the internet just opened our eyes up to everything else, especially everything that our eyes should never have come across. These beloved children of God, my brothers and sisters, they can list the names of the Avengers or the first generation of 150 Pokemon, but they would struggle to name the apostles or the evangelists. My peers who, who grew up reading Harry Potter but wouldn't know where to find the book of Exodus or Tobit. They think that the catechism of the Catholic Church is the code of canon law, that the Da Vinci Code is a historical piece and that all priests are ipso facto old men. Many don't practice the faith. And it doesn't help that the much commentated beige Catholicism and secularism have removed any familiarity with the tools that we would normally use to explore the faith and those questions of life that come up as we get older. When people come to me, I cannot simply turn to just the scriptures or to the tradition of the church or the lives of the saints or the church fathers or the works of theologians to explain why to fellow Catholics or otherwise. Because more often than not, the other Catholic person has no idea about them. But this problem isn't new in case we're starting to get a bit worried. St. John Chrysostom, a church father, complained in his own time that if you ask Christians, who is Amos or Obadiah, how many apostles there were or prophets, they stand mute. But if you ask them about the horses or the drivers, oh, they answer with more solemnity than the sophists or rhetorists. And yet, despite all of that, there is hope. We see a hunger in now in people for the deeper things in life. We've spent two years of entertainment that has left us unsatisfied, that has not answered our deepest needs. And for many people that I continually come across has opened up real existential and deeper questions. Because if life is just about avoiding pain and attaining pleasure and the relentless pursuit of whatever I feel like, and I've had two years of this and they've all left me unsatisfied, surely, surely there must be more to life than this. 
my experiences over the last two years running to the hospital of talking to young people as they look through the window into the palliative care wards to meeting people in Costco and Woolworths and other places, people who would knock on the door or call us on the phone. It shows me over and over again that our society is now really wanting to ask the deeper questions. The deeper questions we've been wanting them to ask for years. But in order to evangelize people, in order to share with them the gospel, we have to meet them where they are and on just some shared common ground. In our postmodern secular world, God is being pushed out explicitly and implicitly. And we find that the religious and spiritual formation has been so poor or absent that many are more familiar with the legend of Zelda than the Gospel of Matthew. So this means that we can't assume that those that we meet as we go out have any familiarity with the traditional foundations upon which we build or discuss the Christian faith. However, as disciples with eyes to see and ears to hear, often our popular culture can provide us a common ground that we, from which we can discuss and bring the kerygma to others so that they can move from Disney to discipleship. These cultural features, whatever they may be, be they video games, a TV series, a graphic or written novel, they form that mutual meeting ground that runs across age and gender, education, ethnic, racial, professional, and whatever other various groups that we are divided into. We all share those things. They belong to no one in particular, and all walks of life share them in common. They become a safe, shared space where deeper things of life can be spoken about and explored through the narratives that provide a window into the experiences of others and sometimes a mirror to help us reflect on our own. So to give you an example, take the experience um, of uh, God's call to the religious life or the priesthood. Often I found this, this is a hard one to get across to people. One of the difficulties that you have if your vocation is not marriage is that you're called upon over and over again to give a reason why you are following something different. And you're constantly called upon and you have to be ready wherever you may be to explain to others why. So our society, our culture, and sometimes our parish communities even treat those in the single state of life as sort of like those who fail to launch. And that's a malformed idea that needs to be explored elsewhere in much more depth. But the priesthood and the religious life sort of looks like a vocational mutation from the normal vocation of marriage to something else. Priests and religious, we sort of become like the ecclesiastical X-Men of sorts. We're sort of like necessary and useful, but admittedly we're odd and not something parents particularly desire for their own children. Married couples can simply say to others in the pub or at a party or wherever that they fell in love. And everyone understands and accepts that explanation and just leaves it at that. But such a luxury is not available if you're a religious or a priest. 
So when I first entered the seminary as part of our homiletics and speech and drama classes, we were asked to write out our vocation story and be able to present it at the drop of a hat. Our formators explained that that was because that would be the question we would be asked everywhere we went over and over again until we died. And sure enough, the second I got out there on my first holidays, the chorus came. Why do you want to be a priest? How did you choose to be a priest? How did God call you? And that would come up at every party, every introduction or meeting to someone. As soon as they finished asking, so what do you do? Now, I got a little bit sick and tired, admittedly, of the barrage. But I eventually realized that this was because behind all of this was a curiosity of something they just they couldn't seemingly quite understand or had experienced themselves. When we say we fall in love, it's an experience that it's varied according to the individual experiences, sure, but it's something that's commonly accepted or experienced. We understand that people love, that people fall in love. And we can find some moment in our own life or experience that we see that. We've seen it in movies. We've heard it in songs. We found it in books. We experienced it ourselves in that childish puppy love or that adolescent infatuation or that more matured and developed understanding that love just goes beyond what I feel. But then we think of a call and most people will understand that it's something like an experience of God in a profound way. But since that doesn't really come to mind and we don't see that in our popular culture, we have to try and grasp and sometimes we get bad impressions of what that is. And so I use sometimes Disney. Now, I'm not explaining my vocation to eight-year-olds. I'm explaining it to 30-year-olds in the pub. So to give you an example, you can use the Ice Queen Elsa in Frozen 2, singing that song into the unknown. Often the religious will understand. It gives them something of a sense of the experience, that feeling of wrestling with being happy and yet at the same time unsatisfied, knowing deep down I'm not where I'm meant to be. And sure, other examples abound, like in Moana and other films, um, but often those songs get played over and over again that they just know them. They see in that, when you draw and point to it, that calling that is incessant, that's ethereal, that's that haunting tone that calls you in the midst of all the things that make up your happy day-to-day -day life. That pull that it's both quiet and forceful and that no one quite seems to get unless they've heard it. That realization that you may be risking everything if you try and follow this call. That there are a thousand reasons why we should ignore it. That pulling into the unknown. And yet, and yet, I can't resist its pull. Would there have been a seminarian or a novice who has not had those long nights and days? wrestling with that interplay between that rational resistance and fear of loss with that profound desire and longing to chase after the caller, lest we never become who we truly are. Like Elsa taking that risk, which led her to the fullness of life that she had longed for, 
those religious and priests will both acknowledge that difficult struggle of continual discernment and its realistic ongoing challenges, but also the happiness and the wholeness that comes with it, that feeling of being where I'm supposed to be and of becoming who God has meant me to be. St. Catherine of Siena put it, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world aflame. I found that when I relate this to and point to these Disney films, they get it. It's no longer something strange and esoteric out there because they've seen it in film. It's that the, these films that make up their way of exploring the meaning of life. It provides a place to start that deeper conversation and it helps me to continue to reflect on the experience of God's call. When we step into those spaces, when we look at these shows and these games through our Catholic lens, and we can show that Jesus Christ is the way, the true, and the life, the way and the life, there's obviously a few things that we should do just to keep in mind. We're about to step out on mission. We're about to bring the Lord to others. And so we have to know our faith. We have to know our Lord. We have to know Jesus. We have to know his voice in order to hear him echoing in these disguised ways. And this often means that we need to have familiarity with him in the sacred scriptures, with him in the magisterial teachings of the church and a relationship that has grown through times of prayer and meditation and adoration. With these things in hand, we can take that imperfect created thing that speaks to our souls and vivifies our common humanity, that we find those seeds of the word scattered in and use it as a launching pad to help lead others to him who is fully human and fully divine, in whom we live and move and have our being. The better we know Jesus, the better we know him, the more we can recognize him in those good things that marked our experience of 2020 and 2021, that called us to virtue, to be more than what we settle for. Also, people often who want to talk about deeper questions without talking about deeper questions, often religious questions they make. So sometimes we have to be patient to let them walk that way, to stop and continue and stop and continue, to let them set the pace. The Lord said, be cunning as serpents and innocent as doves. And so sometimes that means that we need to be happy to be the one on which part of their journey we get to nurture one little seed and that's it. The second someone starts asking a deeper question, we don't just whip out the catechism and hit them over the head with it. The second they stop talking about CGI and awesome a soundtrack and wanting now to discuss the the value of human life as shown in Squid Game or have an interest in the presentation of eschatology and Disney's Coco. When they are ready, they will be ready. And so we need to be patient. The Lord also said that we need to be innocent as doves. And so when we're browsing through shows to use for evangelization, we have to make sure that we use prudence to work out where those seeds of the word may be scattered and where we know they won't be found. But also note that the Lord did not say, 
be nasty as snakes and stupid as pigeons. Everything we do, we do with charity. We know it's better to lose an argument and to win a soul in the long run. We can't evangelize a culture and a people that we are not willing to love. A people and a culture that we choose to do our best to help it become all that it's supposed to be. A shining beacon of the good, the true and the beautiful. We're about to step out into a brand new world in a sense, a bit like the animals of Noah's Ark. We're sent out of that ark. And like the great saints who in their own times and space, they brought the tireless gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of their age, using things that related to them. So in this great relay of salvation history, the baton of the gospel has been passed from age to age, from disciple to disciple. Indeed, sometimes it has been dropped. But by the grace of God, others have picked it up again. And now it is passed on to us to carry and run with as the angels and the saints cheer us on. You are necessary now. You are called to be the Francis Xavier of today. To take the baton and to bear it into this age. We are all sent on that mission as members of the body of Christ, every single one of us, to bring Christ to the ends of the earth. And if we can use that popular culture that is diffusive of the virtues, perhaps not explicitly Christian, but calls us to be what Christ wants us, let's not be afraid to use it to bring people to Christ. Let's be willing to do whatever we need to. God bless you. All right, now that I'm off mute, <laughs> thank you so much, Father, for that talk. Really appreciate that. And I think there's so many good points you could take away from it. Um, just want to remind everyone to please, if you have any questions, uh, for Father to comment or private message us, um, and we'll try to, you know, look through it and try to answer everything. Um, we do have a few questions for you, Father, uh, right off the bat, though. Um, you were mentioning talking about, you know, prudence and looking, you know, for shows for evangelizing. Uh, we have a question here about... Um, what do you think about the popular Netflix show Squid Game and should Catholics watch it? That is a great question. I haven't actually seen Squid Game yet. Um, I really haven't had the time. So I'm the assistant priest in Epping um, and Epping is known for, we know what, uh, the pandemic. Um, you're welcome. Uh, so uh, a lot of my time has actually been spent rather busy. Um, so I don't get as much screen time as everyone else. So I keep hearing about all these shows. Um, people are like, oh, have you seen like this Korean drama or this show that's just come out on Netflix? Like, yeah, I'll get to it in a minute. Um, usually by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Um, so when it comes to prudence, we have to sort of know ourselves quite a bit. We have to know sort of what our tolerance gauge is. That's not the same for everyone. And it's not cookie cutter, one size fits all. 
For example, um, for me, when it comes to violence, I'm usually not too bad. But if it's a horror movie, I'm absolutely terrible and it's ghastly. For some people, um, things regarding sort of sexuality might be difficult for some, not so much so, because they're on a further length of sort of that journey of um, chastity and things like that. So you have to sort of know what your triggers are, you know, what you're good with, um, and to not be something that you're not. You know, we have to be, you know, if if God calls us to sort of, yeah, I can't watch the latest, you know, fantastical, violent, heavy laden with sex sort of thing, um, but I can work with video games, that's fantastic. There's plenty of people who have that as their foundation and prefer that as their foundation from which they can move, who don't watch all these shows. So a lot of it has to come with knowing yourself and sort of your limits. And that's really the fruit of um, prayer and self-reflection. Um, usually you can use like the ratings um, sometimes to gauge that. Um, we would hope that, you know, those people that do the ratings pick ones that, you know, accurately sort of reflect that, but not so much so. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with sort of knowing where you are, what you can tolerate and deal with and what you can't. Um, and to be the disciple that Christ has called you to be, not to be something you're not. St. Francis de Sales practically wrote a book on that. No, the introduction to the devout life. So um, that's, I hope that helps there. I think it does. I think it really does. Um, uh, yeah, no, thank you. It's good to just uh, think about what is right for us and what we can digest and use. Um, we do have a few more questions, several more actually. <laughs> uh, this one is kind of like twofold. So what do you think would be the best example of using popular media explaining mysteries of our faith, such as the resurrection. And what would your favorite Disney movie um, that was released in the last few years, what would that be? Oh, okay. That's a very good question. So um, great people to listen to this because I'm not one of them, but there's some great people who talk about this in a far more deeper way. Um, Father Blake Britton and Brandon Vaught have a wonderful podcast called the Burrow Shire podcast. Um, and they have an episode in there sort of on Disney that just basically had me yelling in the car in agreement on sort of most of those things. Um, and that you, in that they sort of explore sort of those Disney films. Often they're talking really about that Disney Renaissance, which is that period between 1989 and 1999, essentially. Um, that was the period that I was sort of growing up. And so my parents would take me to those films. And so you see that resurrection sort of motif um, a bit in those films as well. I mean, there's plenty of them there. Usually when sort of someone dies and comes back to life, I mean, it's sort of obvious, but the reason around that is often love. So we see in, for example, Beauty and the Beast, um, the breeze, it's with the beast's dying breath that Belle says, I love you, comes to that point where she can love what is unlovable. He's been turned into a beast because of his sins. He's greedy and ego-driven and assessed with honours and things like that. And that sin has essentially deformed him the way sin deforms all of us. And it's Christ who came to us out of love 
that shows that, you know, that we are lovable even in our sins, that, you know, that St. Paul talks about. You know, we see, um, for example, just taking sort of the frozen sort of mentality um, there, um, when we see that coming back to life again, um, that's always connected to love. The resurrection is connected really to the love that God has for us. It's out of love for us that he died. It's out of love for us that he rose again. Um, and so it's helpful as a sort of a place to start from um, that opens up a whole series of questions and things like that. Um, favorite Disney movie in the last few years? That's a hard one, actually. Um, definitely not the remakes. I have very strong opinions about those. Um, I don't, I really don't think, I think the Lion King remake was just soulless. Um, so I have very strong opinions. Yeah, Hannah's laughing, so there we go. <laughs> um, I have very strong opinions. I am, my favourite Disney movie overall is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's the best Disney movie, hands down. Thank you. <laughs> um, the art, the music, everything in it is just oh, lovely. Um, it helps that, you know, as a priest, you know, you know it's very Catholic. It's pretty explicitly Catholic. Um, but also um, in the last few years, we've sort of seen um, things like Moana, things like Frozen, sort of those things sort of coming out. Um, I think I'm probably a sort of a hidden gem there is probably Coco. I went back and watched that one again. And um, I remember being in the seminary and the psychologist who had come in to talk to us sort of about counseling techniques and grief and dying, um, who was going through her own tragedy at that time, was relating how she was using sort of Coco to explain death and purgatory to their, her grandson. Um, and to sort of see that, you know, as, as we prepare tomorrow to celebrate All Souls Day, you know, that they're not just gone and that's it. This rather worldly nihilistic sort of thing. We're having a celebration of life. Well, their life's not over. Life has changed, not ended. You know, we, had to see that we're, they're still connected to us. They're still part of our family and that we are called to pray for them and to help them, that which we can do. Um, and so even though it uses sort of like the day of the dead men mentality and things like that, and, you know, it's, it's, it is a, it's sort of a way that we can reflect on those sorts of things. So there's a few that's coming out, that's few that have come out sort of recently, I think that are quite interesting in that regard. Yeah, no, great. I, I I remember watching Coco and I was just like, oh, this is so beautiful and rich with family and love and everything. So um, it's, a, it's a beautiful way as well to sort of explain to kids about dementia, actually, as well. Sort of the way sort of Coco was was slow as she was getting older. You know, it's a wonderful way because you, you encounter that at um nursing homes and the sad thing is some people just say oh well okay well we just won't take you to grandma because she won't remember who you are sort of thing it's a way to sort of honor that relationship that's still there yeah no that's very fair point um now moving i guess a little bit from just movies um you know we're talking about evangelizing post lockdown even though we have a lot of restrictions mm -hmm. so what would it what would some advice be uh, to give small Catholic societies hoping to evangelize um, on uni, um, on their campus? Mm -hmm. So just like a few, I guess, practical 
Sure. Tips. Practical tip would be, um, it's always good to connect with your uh, university chaplain um, to sort of get their um, feedback and interests in there. They're always a great resource um, or a, they have the ability to get you the resources that you sort of need. So it's good to sort of have that contact with them as well. Um, I think if you're gonna sort of do things like um, movie nights and things like that, I'd, I would sort of start from the level of um, like the virtues or something that the theme, the great theme of the, the movie that we sort of see, and then use what the faith teaches to sort of like put a bit of um, flavor into it um, to sort of bring out of it sort of those, you know, Catholic chili flakes, I guess we could call them in a sense. Um, that flavor that comes through um, that movie that is sort of assisted by, you know, what we believe. I mean, even if you sort of like take, um, take really the superhero movies and things like that, you know, to look at sort of what does it mean to be fully alive? What does it mean to be a hero? And why do we feel this need and this call to go and see these movies over and over again that give us the hero narrative? Well, it's because that call to virtue, to, to goodness, it's in us and it's, it's drawn out of us. And we see that, you know, the catechisms take on virtues, you know, that, you know, that training sort of our training sequence for, you know, that movie and things like that. That's us growing in the virtues, you know, and we sort of see that. And so being able and not being afraid to sort of put our sort of like Catholic take on it can often, I think, invite others of maybe other faiths or no faiths at all to sort of not only see, you know, be feel free to sort of contribute themselves, but also to see that, you know, perhaps there's more to the Catholic faith than what they initially perhaps thought. Um, that it's not just, you know, what we did in the colouring in sheets that we did, you know, in grade five, and then that's it, you know, to show them a, a taste of the depth that comes in the faith that we've developed, obviously, over time and prayer and, and study. Um, you know, you, you were mentioning about like showing a, a film or a show or something. What would be one that you would recommend to help with that evangelizing on campus or with friends or anything? Is there something that you can think of off the top of your head that you're like, if you show this, there are so many gold nuggets you can take from it? Uh, nothing that sort of like immediately comes to mind. Like we, I have, I really enjoy going to the movies and things like that. I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard that I can do that. Um, and I often found that those sort of opportunities, I, I sort of like what, um, if you're looking sort of for like a good example or maybe a good person to sort of listen to, because I, you know, I wouldn't trust my taste in movies, you know, they're all pretty much, you know, the, the hero narrative and, you know, pretty light and nice. Um, but if you're wanting something that's sort of deep thinking and contemporary, a good person to look at would probably be Bishop Robert Barron's sort of stuff when he does does sort of like he goes and sees a movie and then he gives that movie reviews thing. That might be a good place to launch from. Um, it's been so long since I've sort of seen um, a lot of movies. And more often than not, they're sort of those, um, they're either uh, like the Disney movies or the Marvel movies and things like that. I mean, I, I'm no sort of uh, person that sits around sort of sipping a glass of Chardonnay. So I go, oh, yes, it's a lovely movie. I do enjoy this. Um, 
I, I, I go, you know, I go there and I just, I, I look at things that, I, you know, I enjoy. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's to explore a lot of the, like the wider films, especially as we open up and a lot of cinemas are really starting to, okay, we've got to get sort of stuff out there to get people in um, to sort of explore that. But that might be a really interesting list to get sort of people's suggestions and inputs in. I mean, I really do need to sort of expand my taste as well. So if you guys have got any suggestions, please comment something that Father Nathan should probably see. Fair enough. And I think you probably should take a time out, you know, to have a bit of Chardonnay and watch some things. <laughs> <laughs> but fair enough, I, uh, at the end of the long day, I don't really want to watch anything too dark or serious. So I hear you with the hero movies. Mm. Um, now, you, you were mentioning something for like uh, what you could do with, especially with movies for uh, uni campuses. But what about, um, you know, youth ministers who, you know, they're kind of just nervous about going, I guess, back to in-person events. Mm -hmm. So what would be some good, uh, I guess, tips for transitioning or tips go from online back to in-person or ways to encourage that spirit and zest for in-person events? Sure. The, um, it's going to take time. And so the first thing is to be patient. Yep. Be patient with God, be patient with your youth group, but also to be patient with yourself. I don't think anyone's expecting anyone to just go, yep, we've got this. Let's just jump straight back in and we're good. Um, and we're just going to click over sort of things. It's going to take time for a lot of parents and a lot of young people to sort of get the courage to come back to these things. Um, and finding opportunities for them and providing those opportunities is probably the best place to start. You know, um, we can't be so too, you know, um, too panicked um, about the return to sort of normality. Obviously, we have to do this within government regulations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to, to sort of be bold enough to sort of say, okay, we know that one thing that our people really need at this time is that sense of community, is that chance to be with others and not just be with others sort of like lining up for Kmart, but like to be with others, to have those conversations, to share our experiences with each other over sort of this time. And so it would, obviously the media that we would use, whether it's a more older film or um, something a bit more younger or, you know, you know, hook your Disney Plus account up and sort of, you know, get everyone sort of involved, that sort of thing. You know, all of that will depend on sort of the youth group and the makeup, obviously. Um, but to take, to be patient with yourself, but also to have the courage to sort of meet with your team and say, look, how do we step forward from here? Giving everyone an opportunity to come together, to pray together, and to re-establish those bonds of community. They're not just gonna snap back like a, like a lacquer band or a rubber band or anything like that. It's going to take time for a lot of those things that have been torn apart to be woven back together and to heal. But to provide that opportunity in itself gives people the confidence and the courage to slowly start building up that, those um, connections again. Um, so you can look at doing things perhaps um, like a sort of a game night or something like that where you get people um, engaged and things like that. Um, 
and and to be also guided by sort of like where, where, what did they find helped them during that time and where we can draw those sort of those nuggets in a sense out. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's important to kind of build that community. So um, I think I only have like one more question for you. You know, talking about community, uh, you know, we've talked about uni campuses or youth groups, but what about like a parish community? You know, how can we help to rebuild our Catholic culture um, you know, post lockdown for our own parish. Um, what would you recommend for that? Okay. Because that may not, you know, work with just popping on a Disney movie for, yeah. even though they're great, you know, but like for mixed, you know, multi-generations and everything. Yeah. Sure. That, those obviously are going to take as well time. Um, and that's possibly going to be the hard thing for all of us to have that patience to sort of walk gently. Nevertheless, we can find ways in which we gather. So getting people to, to mass is great. And that's sort of our sort of core thing where we come together, we're nurtured and nourished by the word of God. We're offering up to God, the holy sacrifice. We're receiving from him, his precious body, blood, soul, and divinity, and then sent out into the world. But sometimes we can look back and sort of see both in the recent past and a bit further back, sometimes traditions where those things that built up community. So I think um, in a particular way, things like there's groups like, you know, your Legion of Mary and all of that, but also there are, you know, things that we can organise at a parish level, sort of like a communion breakfast, um, this idea that sort of like after, you know, everyone's done that fast, you know, we go out, out, outside after mass and, you know, father's flipping pancakes. I mean, one of the days in which I saw a parish community just usually which would go like out the door quickly was once where the parish priest, you know, on Shrove Tuesday got behind the barbecue, you know, straight after mass and was like flipping pancakes. I don't think anyone left until after the 9 a.m. mass till about two o'clock. But it's in those times that people had those abilities to gather, to connect. And so often we do that with food, um, those food sort of things that, I mean, everyone joins in with sort of that. But also talking to people and saying, being frank about it. Look, this is difficult for all of us. This is new for all of us. We all need that connection with others. And to have the boldness as well, I think, um, especially for younger members in the community thinking, oh, you know, we, we're, not, we're not senior members of the community. No, go to your priest and say, look, uh, after COVID, I think a lot of people are going to be really struggling. How can I help? Like, I'd like to do something, whether it's, you know, let's get the men together and have a whiskey and a rosary. We'll pray the rosary. Maybe we'll get the Knights of the Southern Cross to come along. Everyone bring the bottle and sort of share a drink and sort of start those conversations, sort of like, how was it for you? And, you know, what can we do going forward? You know, organize sort of like things like afternoon teas. Um, the idea of like the old, like the parish dinner dance and things like that. They, but all those things that we sort of had pre-COVID or even a few years number of years maybe prior to COVID, these opportunities for people to gather, I think we will value those a lot more in the future. Um, and to have the boldness, you know, that, you know, St. Paul's talks to Timothy about, you know, to say, no, 
I see a need, as Mary McKillop said, you know, I'm going to do something about it. There's what, what does my parish community need and how can I help build that up? And in doing so, we're reconnecting with each other so that we're strong enough for mission, so that when we go out, we have something to welcome people to, not just sort of like come sit in the pew and be nurtured by the word of God and then see you later, we don't know you, but to invest people into community. I think that's something that people are really lacking and longing for again, sort of to take up a community again, sort of be part of, you know, a family of families. No, I, uh, that, that's so good. I think uh, building that community at the parish level or whatever, it takes, you know, outreach. It takes, you know, maybe that pancakes. I mean, hey, if someone's going to cook pancakes, I'm there. I'm staying. <laughs> so you don't want me cooking pancakes. I'm terrible at them. I just burn <laughs> them just completely. Fair enough. All right. No one go to Epping for Father <laughs> Nathan's pancakes, but no. other priests listening, maybe you can try. <laughs> So uh, thank you so much. We're going to probably end it there, but I just thank you so much for the talk. I loved how you included transcendentals and being able to see that in the shows we watch, maybe, you know, linking that to, um, you know, ways we can find, you know, those like little golden nuggets uh, to be able to, as you said, like find the common ground. But, um, you know, definitely I, it's so good what you said with, you know, we need to meet people where they're at. And where they're at might just be the shows, you know, and just going from there. So thank you so much, Father. And thank you, everyone who's uh, come along and listened to our hopefully last uh, <laughs> online. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, hopefully last online uh, Theology of the Pub. So um, nothing is confirmed for December, but please stay tuned. We're trying to put together something in person for you all so make sure to like and check out our pages and you know instagram and everything and everyone just have a really good night and once again thank you so much father appreciate it so much, bye everyone and happy all saints day thanks for tuning in to this episode of theology at the pub if you enjoyed the talk let us know follow the podcast leave a review and share with a friend for our upcoming events, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at theologyatthepub.com.au. Until next time, God bless.